Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today I have two guests, the King's Joel Edgerton and the film's director, David Michaud. Based on several William Shakespeare plays, the King stars Timothy Chalamet as England's young King Henry V. Edgerton portrays Sir John Falstaff, and rounding out the cast are Robert Pattinson, adopting a French accent to play the son of the French king, and Lily Rose Depp as King Henry's young bride, Catherine. I sat down with Edgerton and Michaud at New York's Beekman Hotel to talk Shakespeare, Chalamet's bowl haircut, and Pattinson's French transformation. I'll have that and a whole lot more after the break. I'm Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, and it could happen here. And boy, it does seem to be happening here. I'm going to guess most of the people listening to this are deeply concerned with what they saw happen in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. And I'm here to tell you it was a fascist insurrection, an attempt by fascists to take over our democracy. And it didn't happen in a historical vacuum. There have been numerous attempts, many of them successful, by fascist movements to take over democracies over the last century. In order to protect yourself, in order to protect your family and your very freedom, you need to understand this history and the history of the different anti-fascist movements that have fought, sometimes successfully, often unsuccessfully, to stop the same things from happening in their own countries. The knowledge of this history is important, and it's maybe the only thing that can save us. So... If you're as concerned as I am, listen to Behind the Insurrections on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Now here is King star Joel Edgerton and director David Michaud. Great movie. Thank you. I was a little nervous. I'm like, how much do I have to know of like the Shakespeare part? But you don't really need to know anything. No, nah, right? you shouldn't have to know anything going into a movie. <laughs> the movie should do it all. So, t- so tell us how it came about. What what made you? This was my next movie I wanted to do. Joel, my fault. Joel's fault. <laughs> well, I I I had done the plays 20 years ago as Hal, and then a year later did Henry V. And around 2012, 13, around that time, I I by way of certain events, reading a, a script that I was asked to do that was sword and horse type movie, saw glimpses of a lot of in, inspired speeches that were derivative of Shakespeare stuff. And it made me think, wow, wouldn't it be interesting if someone would let us make a version, whatever that is, of Henry V? And I posed the question and I didn't get laughed out of the room. And then I was like, uh-oh, I'm going to go <laughs> run over to David's house and see if I can hide behind him. And he said yes. <laughs> Yeah. That's where it started. That's it. Easy. I mean, and I had, you know, I'd never, it would never have crossed my mind before that to make a Swords and Horses movie. I've got to stop calling it that because it heard is that. so much swords more. Swords and Horses. You've never heard that expression? I've never heard that expression. I like it. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it wouldn't, it's not, uh, it, it's, it wouldn't, it's not my go to. <laughs> but I had, I actually, there's something I really like about being presented with the challenge of, you know, a, a movie that wouldn't have naturally occurred to me. And uh, I'd then start thinking about what would my version of that be? And then that's where it began. Then we just started writing together and, and working out how to... I mean, we made a decision really early on to move away from Shakespeare for a whole number of different reasons, you know, f- to do with form and not just language, but form. You know, the play is being written to be performed on an Elizabethan, to be presented on an Elizabethan stage, you know, that... 
the form, the cinematic form we were after kind of required us to move away from it. But also stuff that was thematic and political and uh, the, and and to do with character, you know? It's like the character that Joel plays in the movie is like one of the, you know, it's based on one of the great characters in all of English literature. We knew, in, but, and he, but he is, full star for Shakespearean conceit. So we knew that if we were going to hang on to that character and we really wanted to, that we, we, we could never fully push Shakespeare to the side. But we, damn, we tried. <laughs> <laughs> what would Billy Shakespeare think? <laughs> really? Who was the studio executive that was doing one of those early Shakespeare films and was like, well, let's get William to do the rewrites. Someone had to, <laughs> someone had to tell him that he'd been dead for many hundreds of years. Um, but look, you know, you talk about uh, walking out on a thin limb, you know, and hoping it doesn't break is, is, is not so much from our point of view, but just considering the perception of other people. But one of the things about stepping away from the text, it wasn't about some presumption that we, we knew how to write stuff better. It was really about giving us freedom to look at real history that wasn't included in the plays, to borrow what we wanted from Shakespeare and, and then to use our own artistic license to have our own agenda about, you know, the microscope to put on um, that character and, and certain elements of politics that resonated. Um, and one of those things was also, you know, taking that extra delicate risk of, of muting, mutating Falstaff into something very different. Mm. But based in some real research that he, he may or may not have been based on a character who had been called John Oldcastle, who had fought for Richard II mm. and, and Henry IV and had formed a bond with Howe because they had a, co a common dislike for the way Henry IV was running the kingdom. Mm. Yeah. So why Timothy is Howe? Did that come to you right away? How does that? No. I mean, when we <laughs> first started... seventh grade. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been, right? I yeah. mean, when we first started writing, Timmy was barely out of the crib. <laughs> when I was doing the play, he was two years old. Wow. Yeah. So wow. how old was he when you started to consider him? <laughs> well, it was, I mean, the, 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 the gloriously serendipitous thing was that right at the time we were looking for a way to find, to get, actually, you know, we'd made, the decision was made, this is what we want to do, we want to make it this time Joel had cleared his schedule all that kind of stuff we were looking okay who's going to play how ideas had been floating around or whatever and then suddenly this Chalamet creature just enters my orbit you know and mm. and it was extraordinary because I remember going and saying call me by your name and that experience for me being a sublime one because a I love the movie I think it's uh, an extraordinary extraordinary film but also I was having the experience of seeing the version of the king that I wanted to make, you know, right. of like a true boy king, you know, of a, mm. a, a, a beautifully soulful but kind of naive young idealist being thrust into a position of like monumental responsibility. And uh, it just, it was in Timmy, it was all there. It was, it was, it was, a, it was, I knew it would be a true transformation. It's yeah. a lot in his eyes, I noticed. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, you just look at his eyes mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. just like when he's getting intense, his eyes just seem to like get darker. Yeah. That, it's really incredible. And yeah. you, I didn't recognize you when I first saw you on screen. <laughs> <laughs> All covered in the beard. And yeah. <laughs> I, I got, I got, I, I sort of larded up. I, um, Blubber. <laughs> I just did the two times diet, two times breakfast, two times lunch. <laughs> While I was posting Boy Raised, actually, I had like eight months in post and I just slowly just grew 
So I wanted to sort of find enough of the opposite of boy erased. Yeah, it's like a lot more boy. Well, the, 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 yeah. the uh, boy expanded. Man expanded. <laughs> the uh, the idea of meeting Falstaff as we know him from the plays somewhere halfway that there was enough uh, of a kind of bullishness, but we want to believe that he could hold his place on the battlefield. But I felt some onus to sort of go part the way there to sort of fatten up a bit. Because that dancing scene. Grizzly. Yeah, I was like, David, whatever you, you do, you have belly. to keep that dancing scene in there because <laughs> people won't know how, how, my, how, much, how many burritos are inside that belly. <laughs> yeah. So I went the extra mile, shot it in slow-mo. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a short break, but when we return, find out what went down when Timothy Chalamet had to get a bowl cut for his portrayal of Henry V. What do explorers, an army officer, and a Minnesota insurance salesman have in common? They all wanted to be the first to reach the North Pole, but only one of them made it. I'm Kat Long, science editor at Mental Floss and host of the new podcast, The Quest for the North Pole, which dives into the centuries-long race to explore the Arctic, find the Northwest Passage, and conquer the top of the world. With a cast of daring adventurers and some pretty determined amateurs, the race to the pole reveals the human desire to solve mysteries of geography and the soul. We'll look at the important Arctic expeditions that filled the blank spaces on the map and recognize how indigenous people made them successful. We'll examine what pushed explorers to venture ever farther into the unknown and uncharted, and how the climate crisis is changing the Arctic today. Listen to The Quest for the North Pole every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's more of Joel Edgerton and David Mishup. And then the hair, the haircuts. Let's talk about the haircuts. Those bangs. Did you just like go up to Timmy and just like... Like a bowl. I held him down. <laughs> no, we did a fair amount of uh, you know research and development because mm-hmm. you know, unsurprisingly, everyone was a little bit nervous about well, you know, Jay chopping his hair off, but B also just him ending up with like a horrific bowl <laughs> haircut. It was it felt clear to me from the outset that he had to transform. You know mm-hmm. that I that I loved the idea of taking that kid from Call Me by Your Name and beginning the movie with him, and then. And then, at, you know, when as his life starts to transform, that he needed to physically transform, and the hair had to go. I mean, it's famous. You know, there is one kind of one existent kind of portrait of Henry V, the profile, famous thing of him with a bowl haircut, and it's like I can't. I, it has to happen. I, I just. I also had a, like a genuine belief that you could pretty much do anything to Chalamet, and he'd look great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I led by example by getting my acorn done as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, they're not very flattering haircuts. But, you know, I, I believe if you're going to tell a period story and you have access to references that you yeah. dive in, you don't filter it through the decade with which you make it. And in. Timothy, like, what I noticed is, like, there was, like, paparazzi shots showed up, like, right when he got the haircut. And I was like, oh, that's severe. But then in the movie, there's, you know, it's tossed a little bit. It's not always just. Mm. So it's not. I think it looks crazy. good. Yeah, I mean, it actually, always looks good. I think, I think the haircut, I mean, you know, and I've, I, I mean, you walk around, you actually, you, you do this, you walk around, you'll see people with that haircut roaming around. 
Mm. I don't know so why. You, so you didn't get it. <laughs> there's a, there's a big your, outcry. To get your cast into it. <laughs> no, it didn't seem necessary. Really. <laughs> good, oh, we should have done that, Dave. If you want us to do it, um, there is something though about the outcry of those haircuts, and you're just like, it, it's hair, man. It grows back. Yeah. So why wouldn't you want to lean into transformation right. of that stuff? One of the, my favorite parts of the movie is the battle scene, which is just intense, but the sound of mm-hmm. the armor. Yeah. When you're walking. And I don't know why I feel like I haven't felt or heard that in, what did you call a sword and horse movie? Horse and sword movie? <laughs> sword and horse <laughs> Yeah. I Medieval love film. that sound. Yeah. It was really intense. Well, we had real suits of armor, too. Wow. Uh, the, the actual battles, like the fight scenes, we, everyone has polyurethane right. versions of battles. So, you know, we're, we, we got off scot-free there. But the sound design is incredible. Yeah, and it felt important that, that um, you know, these things are, are cumbersome, they're unwieldy, they're difficult to walk in, they're, you know, but, and, you know, as soon as you, you would know, as soon as you pull that visor down, it's, you've got, it's, I mean, and then you, st- and then you're suddenly beating people to death and trying not to be beaten to death yourself. I mean, it's. Yeah, and it's, pan- it's panic attack inducing mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Being stuck inside your it's own letterbox where everybody outside that little slither is trying to murder you. Robert Pattinson, he had long hair. He yeah, the bowl cut. <laughs> the French are very. He, he did the bowl cut. Idea. Yeah. he did the bowl cut for me in the Rover. That oh yes, was, he uh, did. Too. He 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 was ready to move on. <laughs> and he teaches the world an important lesson, which is if you have a long fringe, it's important to just part it with your with your pinky. <laughs> yeah, <finger>. <laughs> to have a ring on the pinky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that improvised. Like, it was amazing to watch the first yeah, the to- first rehearsal. I was like, oh great. Tell me about right. the French accent when you're, because when you hear the French accent come out of him, you're just like for a second, you're like, wait a minute, but you're English. Wait, oh, but you're French. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, pretty much, you know, in a, in ways that I fully 100% endorse and love, that character is a Robert Pattinson creation. You know, it's like mm-hmm. he, a lot of it was kept under wraps until, you know, he didn't, he didn't, I, you know, for various reasons, he was, I, he was very involved in all of aspects of costume and hair and makeup and. And his, uh, his, you know, the the great fear always is that you end up, you end up with, uh, you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, mm. ridiculous French accents. Uh, uh, but at the same time, I kind of needed his character to be kind of absurd. I wanted, you know, his his whole purpose in the movie is to be a jerk right. and to just torment Timmy. Mm. And so I kind of needed him to be a larger-than-life jerk. <laughs> he needed to be ridiculous. And he needed to have not a whole lot of substance underneath him. He's just there to annoy. And the thing I couldn't help think about when he, when he goes to fight Timoth, well, Hal, um, and he's in the black, and I'm like, is that like a precursor to Batman? That was like his right. Batman suit going on. Which we you probably helped him get the job. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you helped yeah. him get the job. Where's my cut? Yeah. Zero zero one percent would be enough. Point zero zero one percent would be enough. That'd get me a speedboat, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, why is this movie going to resonate now? Just the story of power, mm. corruption. And then you have our president talking. I to could your pull up the Huffington Post right now and just show you a few articles. Oh, look, you know the, the the idea of just on a on a personal level, the idea of someone sitting in the seat of power, presuming that they can make a change, and and knowing that you know it's, it's 
the, the changing a system works much slower than um, than accidentally learning that the change occurs within a person much quicker. Mm. That corruption can happen to a person before they know it, and you know, there, there's there's a lot of stuff for people to project their own feelings about politics in in this film. I think. Yeah. Yeah, just the movement, the machinations, the institutions of power and, you know, to a certain extent you can see the ways in which, you know, it, like leaders, even no matter how, you know, good leaders, wildly dysfunctional leaders, that, that you know, to a certain extent they can almost be a little bit interchangeable when you consider the... Uh, when you consider the influence that the the and the often insidious influence that the institutions around them have, mm. uh, that's what that's what our version of the story of Henry V is kind of about. You know, it's has traditionally been told as a story of a great kind of a great heroic leader and the burden he carried. Uh, but we wanted to tell the story of a kind of young a young idealistic but naive king being suddenly consumed by uh, the office. Fantastic. You guys are awesome. I'll see you in a couple of hours. I may ask you the same question, but hey. You okay. I'll go away and refine my answer. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you as always. Of course. That was the King star Joel Edgerton and the film's director, David Michaud. The King is in theaters on October 11th before streaming on Netflix starting November 1st. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up next week, I sit down with Tony Winner and the star of Ryan Murphy's new The Politician, Ben Platt. For now, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. See you next time.